Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. So today I wanted to talk about uh, maintaining, say maintaining, depth, perception. All right. So if I told you, if I had a chair up here, there's plenty of chairs in here. If I told you to look at a chair and describe that chair, you would begin to point out its characteristics. You would begin to point out uh, some of the attributes that it has, maybe the color of it, maybe the size of it. Does it have four legs? If it only has three legs, that's not a very effective chair. So you begin to describe that that chair by what you see. But what if I asked you, what does vision or what does sight look like? Oh, that's a little... Is it kind of like one of those questions, like if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to hear it, does it actually make a sound? It's kind of like one of those questions. What does sight look like. Now we could talk about some of the qualities of it, but what does it look like? So in the most basic sense, vision or sight looks like what I see and how I perceive it. And it's a strange dichotomy because the very nature of vision is invisible. I'm going to say that again. The very nature, because I said, hey, listen, tell me what vision looks like. So the very nature of vision and sight is invisible. Do you see that dichotomy? So let me explain it in this way. So the responsibility of a team leader is to make their vision known, right? No one else on the team sees it but the leader. So the leader's responsibility is to take that vision, put some things in place, right? Share the vision, put structures in place, right? And then from that, then the vision become tangible. You can begin to see it manifested, right? So let's see what Webster has to say about vision. And he says, it's the act or power of seeing. So this is talking about one of our five senses, and that would be sight. And sight is the special sense by which the qualities of an object, such as color, luminosity, shape, and size, uh, I can't speak today, uh, constituting its appearance are perceived through a process in which light rays enter the eye, are transformed by the retina into electrical signals that are transmitted to the brain via the optic nerve. Wow, that's a mouthful. So right now, as you're looking at me, look at your neighbor, say hi, glad that you're here, glad that you braved the weather, and so, or, you know, look at your dog if you're at home or your cat. And so when you look at them, this is what's happening. Light is entering in through your eyes and it's being transformed by the retina into electrical signals that are transmitted to the brain via the optic nerve. Wow, pretty crazy, huh? So Webster also says that vision is something uh, seen in a dream, a trance, or a supernatural experience. 
He also says, the act or power of imagination. This is really the power of creativity. When God looked before creation, he looked and it was dark, it was void, it was empty. And God saw something before it was even there and he began to speak it out. In in our sense, let's say you're a painter and you go up to your empty canvas. It's void, it's empty. And a lot of times, you know, some people create and they're just, let's see what happens, right? But some of us have a vision or an idea in mind. And so that's what vision is. It's, um, It's the act or power of imagination. Now in the church world, vision is generally associated with calling, purpose, direction, like a mission statement. And one thing about that is all kind of future driven, right? Your calling, your purpose, your direction, your mission statement, where you're going. But I've come to realize that is a very, very narrow way of looking at vision because it only deals with one aspect of vision. You see, the gift and the ability to have vision encompasses every part of who we are. It's not just our future reality. So your vision is not just your future reality, okay? True spiritual vision illuminates your present reality. It actually helps you see your God-given identity right now, right? And how many of you know it can be quite disastrous to know what you're called to do, but not see your God-given identity, See, see what I mean by that's only one aspect of vision? It's not just seeing where you will be, but it's actually the ability to see where you're at right now. So vision actually helps you to see the condition of your soul. Some of us go around unaware what's happening on, on the inside of us, but vision, spiritual vision, is actually able to look at what's happening inside our soul and be aware of it. It's also to rightly discern both good and evil. Vision helps us perceive and decide with confidence. Vision helps us to discern your spiritual authority and then to have a strategy for it. And so the list could go on and on. Uh, The emphasis that I'm really uh, suggesting is vision is not just some far off place that we're going to be someday. We actually need vision right now for every step that we take. Vision not only reveals the destination, but it empowers the journey. Now imagine this. If all you could see through your vision was future events, how would you walk in the now? You couldn't because it was always in the future. And what what would happen? We would be bumping into things. We would be stumbling over ourselves, right? And see, a lot of times that's what happens. We are so future-focused that we're bumping into things right now, we're making a mess. So I'm not suggesting that vision for the future isn't important, but it shouldn't blind us from our present reality. And I believe that this is a mistake that many of us make. We try to live as if we're in the future, and as a result, we miss our moment. A great example for this is, let's say you're walking by and you see someone drowning in a lake. And you're like, I got to do something. I got to save them. So you run. And then you begin to notice the mountains in the distance and the the beauty of them. And then you're like, I can see myself on a mountain one day, right? 
me and Jesus on the mountain and what we're going to do. And you get lost in what's off in the distance, but we miss our moment. What was the point of that? The purpose was to save someone that was dying and lost. And so sometimes we can get so caught up in what will be and do that we actually miss what God has for us in that moment. Can you see why vision for the future is only one aspect of vision? Vision was never meant for you to escape reality. It was always meant to empower us for it. Let's look at Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Why did he endure the cross? Because what he saw before, what he, what he saw the effect or the result of his sacrifice would be. Vision always comes attached with a process. It takes a journey to arrive at a destination. In Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. Now, vision in this context is not your goals. It's not your five-year plan. Actually, where it says where there is no vision, it actually means divine inspiration, illumination, revelation, and prophetic insight. So where there is no divine inspiration, the people perish. Where there is no prophetic insight, the people perish. Where there is no revelation, the people perish. What's interesting about this verse is that word perish means to cast off restraint. Now, obviously, in the end, it would result in to perish as like what we would think, but it actually means to cast off restraint. So why do they ultimately perish? They remove protective boundaries from their life. So what are they casting off? Because they have no divine inspiration, because they're not seeing what God wants to do in and through them, they cast off restraint. And why do they do that? Why do they cast off restraint? Because they have no vision. Does this make sense? They live unrestrained because they lack divine discernment of what the Lord is saying and doing. Now notice how vision for the future shapes how you live today. So vision for the future is important, but we have to recognize it actually shapes us for today. It shapes how we live today. How many of you have ever had God speak to you? This is what I've called you to do. This is what I've called you to be. And because of that, you place the boundaries in your life. So like, let's, let's take an attitude. Like for where you're going and what you want to do, you're thinking, I can't have this attitude right now. And you put restraints up right? You put boundaries up because you know where God is taking you and where he's calling you. Then it finishes out, he that keepeth the law, happy is he. How? So how does this apply to a New Testament believer? Because we're not under the law. So as New Testament, as New Testament or New Covenant believers, we are called to live, say live, which is the present, right? To live by faith. So to live is all-inclusive. It's not solely a spiritual activity. And you can't get any more practical 
than that statement to live. To live deals with your eating, your sleeping, your working, your resting, your playing, your planning, every aspect of life. So how does this look practically? You begin to structure or order your life in a way that matches the faith that you have. But as your revelation grows and as it increases, so will your faith to live by. Does this make sense? So it's so important to understand that to live by faith is all-inclusive. And so we shouldn't separate what we deem as natural or practical and what is spiritual and supernatural. I believe that they're, they're meant to be merged together. So what I want to do is break down some core elements of vision. It's kind of like checking under the hood. So there's this parallel between our natural vision, our eyes, and our spiritual eyes. So the first thing I want to look at is our perspective. Say with me, perspective. So I'm not talking about perception. I'm talking about perception or perspective. Perception is based on history. Now, an example of this is, let's say you dated a woman with red hair. And it was not a great experience. And so from now on, whenever there's an opportunity to maybe date someone with red hair, you're like, you know what? I don't think that's a good idea. Because people with red hair have this thing. So that's based on your perception, right? Not your perspective, but it's based on history. So perspective is the angle, the direction, distance in which a person looks at an object. How many of you have ever, how many of you drive to work the same way for the past 25 years, <laughs> right? You know what it looks like. How many of you have driven there so much that you were thinking about other things and you thought, how did I get here today, right? Your muscle memory is so strong. But have you ever took a, different, a detour and you come out at a road and you're like, I've drove this way for 20 years and I never saw this house or this place from this perspective. You've seen it for 25 years, right? And you know what it looks like. But if you drive that other way, it looks different, right? That is called perspective, all right? So the same space will look different depending on where you're positioned. How many of you have ever seen those real estate photos? And you're like, this room is huge. And then you get there and you're like, oh, this was a closet. I wasn't, how they angled it, right? They positioned it in a way that gave the perspective that it was big and huge, right? So can you see how that can happen with us? If we're looking at our trials, from the wrong perspective, they can see so much bigger than they actually are. Now an, an, now, an extreme case would be, how many of you have, well, since I'm talking to people that live in the valley, right? Driven to the top of the mountain, and you're like, hey, there's my house down there. I see my house, or I see, oh, there's so-and-so's place. And it looks very different. You're looking at the same thing, Correct but it looks very different. And let's say someone was actually at that place. The house would be huge, but on top of the mountain, it looks small. Is it small or big? Both are true, right? Because it's based on the perspective. So John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So what 
one of the benefits of following Jesus is where he goes, we see what he sees. Are you guys seeing this? If we are following Jesus, where he takes us, we are going to see what he sees. Have you ever prayed, God, give me eyes to see. God, God, show me what you're seeing. Show me your perspective. Where are you going where he's going? Because if we follow him, right? If we follow him, we will see what he sees and we will go where he goes. So to follow indicates movement and it requires change of position. Change of position affects your perspective. Remember what I said, you've been driving the same way to work for 20 years and you take a detour and you're like, wow, this looks so different. So when we say that we follow Jesus, it means that we are required to change positions. Because if we are to follow, we are to move with him and to go where he goes. And if we go where he goes, we're gonna see what he sees. And how many of you have ever made the mistake judging something from a distance? No one here. That's for the people that are watching, right? Have you ever made the mistake to judge a situation and you had none of the details and you were looking at it from a distance? But what happens if we follow Jesus and Jesus is right in the midst of that situation, we can see what he sees. And because we see what he sees, your point of view will change. So it's based on my position and from my position, I then can evaluate it effectively. Perspective also means an accurate rating of what is important and what isn't. So it's only a small percentage of your total vision that is clear and in focus. So our clearest vision is where we direct our gaze. So if you just take your finger, you can do this at home. It's home safe. So on, on the TV when they say do not do the, try this at home, feel free to do that. All right, so look at the tip of your finger, right? Is it in focus? Oh, if you have glasses and your eyes are working properly, you're like, I'm not sure. So the tip of it should be in focus. But notice, as it works itself out, it becomes blurrier and blurrier. Do you see that? And that's actually by design. So when you focus your eyes on something, your brain is making decisions. How many of you made the decision? Well, obviously, you said, I'm going to look at this. But your brain is making the decision. As this goes out, it's going to become blurrier and blurrier. So this tells us something. What is important is clear, and what is less important is blurry. Why, did, why is that? Because I said, look at the tip of your finger. What am I saying? Place your attention on it, right? And when I place my attention on something, it becomes very clear. But as it works itself out, it becomes blurry. Like right now, I can see Danielle. Wave at me, Danielle. See, I see her waving, but it's very, very blurry. I can kind of make the outline, but it's not what's in focus, okay? So my attention reveals my perceived value. What has my attention holds my greatest value. And this is true for our spiritual eyes. 
We are beings created to worship. It's actually in our nature. Now here's a thought. What if all our attention is on what the enemy's doing? What if all of our attention is on what the enemy is doing? What does that say? Because I'm focusing on it, I'm saying that is of, a, that, that is of greater value than other things. Are you guys seeing this? Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing, say fixing, our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So what does it say in the beginning? All those distractions, all those weights, all those things that entangle, take them off. Remove them. Take your attention off of them. And then what does it say? Then fix your eyes on Jesus. Come on. So when we fix our eyes on Jesus, it is a spiritual act of worship because our attention reveals honor and value. So when we, in the midst of hell, in the midst of difficult seasons, when we actually fix our eyes on Jesus, it might not be a worship song, but it is an act of worship to our God. Come on. So where, where I said just the thought, what if our attention is consumed by what the enemy's doing? Where are we placing our value? One thing that's really interesting, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the Israelites, they would stop worshiping God. And then they, what did they do? They started worshiping idols. You know what did not change? They never stopped worshiping. Come on. They never stopped worshiping. Like I said, we are created beings to worship that's why we've been created. It's a part of our DNA. So the truth is, you never stop worshiping. You're always worshiping. Come on. So our spiritual perspective helps us determine what is of value and what is not. And the thing about it is, remember when I said I was looking at the tip of my finger and I saw Danielle off in the distance? She was blurry. She was there. Guess what? I could still see her. And that's what it needs to be. That's, that's how we need to look at the situations in our life. My eyes are focused on Jesus. And yes, I see what's going on around me, but I don't give it the value that it deserves. My value goes to him. Could it be the reason God seems far away from your situation is because your attention is on your circumstances? God's right there, but our attention is so much on the struggle and so much on the giant that God is kind of in the blurry part of our vision. In 1 Samuel 17, 26, David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Now you have to remember that the Israelites would go out, I think it was 30 or 40 days, I can't remember. 
And Goliath would come out and insult them, degrade them, and no one did anything about it. And then this boy, 14, 15, I'm not sure exactly how old, comes, comes bringing cheese for his brothers, right? The cheese trade back then. And he goes and says, hey, what? <laughs> Can you see how the perspective is so different? Hey, what's going to be done for the person who takes care of this issue? <laughs> what does he say? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this? Where was David's attention? It was on who God was, how big God was. Who is this? Come on. Isn't that great? These men were sitting, being insulted, being degraded, devalued. And a boy comes who was captivated by a big, awesome God and says, who is this? Come on. So a whole army was captivated by fear and a shepherd boy was captivated by a big God. When we shift our gaze towards Jesus, our current circumstances are viewed in proper perspective. Remember, we live, when we say we live, it's all inclusive. Now, one thing I want to point out is that David still had to confront Goliath. So David wasn't just all talk. He was like, hey, what will be done for this? Oh, I wasn't talking about me. Oh, you're talking about me? No. He confronted him, right? So just because our eyes are fixed on Jesus doesn't mean that there aren't going to be things that we don't have to confront. Now, I want you to get this. Right perspectives release perfect strategies. Right perspectives release perfect strategies. So there was a whole army that did nothing. And a boy, a shepherd boy, that was captivated by a big God, comes and says, I don't need this armor. I need, what does he need? He needs his, a what? Well, yeah, but it was a stone and a sling, right? So right perspectives release perfect strategies. Now, uh, if you know, like, let's say you're, any, any war history or anything, uh, any battle, uh, any commander or whatever, they want the high ground, right? They want the high ground. So what's our high ground? Is fixing our eyes on Jesus. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, then we can rightly discern our circumstances. So the first one was perspective. And the second one is that I want to talk about is depth perception. So the term depth perception refers to our ability to determine distance and between objects and see the world in three dimension. So let me give you the best, best example for this. Let's say you're driving down the road with someone in the passenger side. In my case, it would be my wife. And you're just driving along and all of a sudden there's a scream and a grabbing of the leg. All the men know what I'm talking about. 
She's like a buggy. And I look up and it's like a mile away. And so we're very concerned about Aaron's death procession. Uh, and actually, I went to the eye doctor and I had perfect death perception. But I will say this. I will say this. I've been in more accidents than her. So, <laughs> so that's what death perception is. Being able to see the dis uh, determine the distance between objects. And, but it also helps you see the world in three dimension. Like when you go to the movie theater, how many of you have ever seen a 3D movie? Okay, you got to wear those glasses, right? And one side has the red, and then what's the other side? Blue. And so basically what you're doing is getting two separate images of once, and that's what makes it three-dimensional. Okay. So one of the most powerful and effective ways to, um, ways to perceive depth or to see the world in three dimension is to have binocular stereoscopic vision. All right? So binocular means, does anybody know what binocular means? No. It means involving both eyes at once. You know what a binocular, do you ever look through binoculars? Using both eyes at once, okay? So binocular vision is vision wherein both eyes aim simultaneously at the same visual target. Both eyes work together simultaneously, equally and accurately as a coordinated team. So stereoscopic vision, there's two separate images uh, from two eyes that are successfully combined into one image in the brain. So do you realize that this eye is seeing a different image than this eye? And what your brain does is says, we'll put them together and we'll make them one, okay? So your eyes see a different image. So there is a disparity of image um, on each retina. Our eyes are at a distance of 6.3 centimeters, which allow them to see, see images from slightly different angles. The change of angle is a way that our brain can comprehend depth. So why don't we do this? Why don't you look at one of those can lights and close one of your eyes and cover up one of the cans with your thumb, okay? Now, what I want you to do is keep your thumb there and then switch your eyes. Okay, what happened? Your finger moved. No. Do you see how they're different? Your eyes are seeing two things, different perspectives at once. So these are binocular cues help us make the picture more into three-dimensional. As believers, we have two eyes. We have two perspectives that we can see and respond from. Say with me, our natural eyes and our spiritual eyes. The problem uh, for far too long has been the majority of the church has separated the two, making the two perspectives at war with each other. Well, that's too natural. And some of the church says, well, that's too spiritual. Well, no, that's too natural. That's too Actually, we are meant to merge them together into one image. What does it say? Live by faith. Faith is that supernatural, and to live is our daily practical life. To live by faith. And see what happens when we keep them separated. Many believers lack spiritual depth perception. Either they become too spiritual or they become too practical. 
And I believe that God is challenging us to have stereoscopic vision, to see and to respond from both realities, merging both natural and supernatural realities. Having depth perception in this context, let me break it down for you a little bit, is to be able to navigate and respond effectively to the world around us. So that is cultivating healthy relationships, okay? That's stewarding your time. That means developing relationships of accountability. That means honoring your body as a temple. That means managing your finances excellently and with integrity. And the list can go on and on. We could keep on adding to that. But it's also to navigate and respond effectively to the spirit world around us. And so some of those things could be maintaining constant communication with the Holy Spirit, giving room for spontaneous leadings. So it's when he says, you want me to do what? And, and, I'm, and he says something, and I'm like, you want me to do what? Oh, okay. And my, actual, my natural eyes say no. But my spiritual eyes see something different. It also could be strengthening your spirit, man. That could be speaking in tongues, investing time in the word. It could be worship and praise. It could be uh, discernment of places, people, circumstances. And discernment is not just negativity, okay? Discernment is also discerning the spirit of God in a room. Discernment, uh, discerning spiritual warfare, Uh, The scripture tells us not to be ignorant of his devices. And so the list could go on and on. And I separated the two perspectives so that I could define them independently, but they were never intended to be two separate images. I'm going to say that again. The natural and the supernatural were never intended to be two separate images. What happens if your eyes see the two separate images at once? It's called double vision. And if you've ever experienced that, it's not pleasant. Come on. These two perspectives, they were always meant to merge together and make one image so that we could have depth. Let me ask you this. Is sowing and reaping a natural activity or spiritual activity? Well, it's natural, right? Because let's say you're sowing into a person, you're actually affecting their natural reality. You're actually taking your money out of your bank account and transferring it to someone else. It's a very natural activity. It's a very practical activity. But is there something going on in the spirit when you do that? So is it natural or spiritual? It's both. Do you see how this is? Well, how, what about when you impart love and grace into someone's life, is that a natural thing? You better believe it, it's a natural thing. But is there something spiritual that's happening? Right? Strongholds could be broken off. Come on. So it's both practical and both spiritual. So binocular vision enables us to take two separate images and merge them into one. The Holy Spirit will lead us to do things that are very practical so that a spiritual dimension can be released and vice versa. So God says, Moses, I want you to put the staff into the water. In the water. In the water. 
a natural act of obedience, what happened? Well, I wasn't thinking of that one. I was, I was talking about the Red Sea parted, right? Come on. So taking a very practical thing and it releasing a supernatural uh, effect. When we deem something as too spiritual or too practical, we limit our depth of vision. Don't just assume that when the Holy Spirit calls you to a deeper place, it's in spiritual matters. I'm going to say that again. Don't just think, how many of you have ever had the Holy Spirit like tug on your heart and calling you deeper? It might be a spiritual thing, but it could be a very practical thing. You know, some people can be very anointed, but they're terrible with their time and their ministry is affected because of it. Come on. Or they're terrible with finances. So a deeper place could be creating or implementing natural structure so that the spirit has a place to inhabit. What about being excellent at your job? Doing it to the best of your ability. Doing it with passion and excitement. That's, very, that's a very natural thing. But could it be shifting some things spiritually and opening up doors so that the Holy Spirit has a place to move? Depth perception allows someone to see the world around them in three dimension. What are those three dimensions? We, do you know that we were created in the image of God and that's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? And we are triune beings, meaning we are spirit with a soul that lives in a body. So when we see through a merged image of what is natural and what is spiritual, we can effectively respond to our triune being. So how do we experience that life to the fullest? Like I said, can't do a sermon without John 10, 10. That life that he's come to give us. So how do we experience life to the fullest? We experience life in spirit, in soul, and in body. Why? Because I embrace practical truth as well as spiritual revelation. And as a result, I receive the full depth of life that Christ provides. Lastly, I want to talk about peripheral vision. Now, peripheral vision is the blurry areas of our vision. Do you remember that example where I said, look at the tip of your finger? All that other stuff to the side is called peripheral vision, okay? And I was at the eye doctor uh, the other day. Don't worry, it was a normal checkup. And um, they were doing all these tests like, you know, as doctors do. And uh, the lady came in and said, um, the doctor wants to know if you would like your, um, your um, peripheral vision checked. And she said, "Just want to, I'm asking you because it's not covered by insurance and um, you need to pay extra for that. I said, oh, I don't need that. I said, I have perfect uh, peripheral vision. And she looked at me strange. I said, yeah, I have three kids. And I said, I can, actually, I have eyes in the back of my head. <laughs> See, my children are very literal. So when I say a joke, they're going to correct me if it's not literal. Okay. 
So the peripheral vision is part of our vision that is outside our direct gauge. And so peripheral vision can detect, can detect motion causing us to re redirect our gaze. This is the part of our vision that can be something that hinders our focus. Remember how I said I had three kids? Okay, let's say I'm in a conversation with someone and it's a good conversation, it's a deep conversation. And then I see something happening over here with one of my children. And my face is trying to stay focused on what this person is saying, right? But something is happening over here that's going down, right? Everybody know what I'm talking about, right? So that's your peripheral vision. And so when we fix our eyes on Jesus, you know who likes to hang out in our peripheral vision? The enemy. Well, you're, you're a smart guy. The enemy says, hey, hey, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Come deal with what I'm doing. And the strategy is what? To take your focus off of Jesus and to look at, now we're getting some activity in here. To take your eyes off of Jesus and put it on what the enemy's doing. Come on. So the question that I'd like to propose is, do we just ignore what the enemy is doing? Or do we address the enemy? Well, my children think it's uh, that we don't do anything. So our peripheral vision actually protects us from danger. Did you know that? One of the reasons that we have peripheral vision, it protects us from danger. Now, basically, it's a flash of motion uh, that tells us to act right now. So what I'm describing right now is Katie's worst nightmare, okay? Katie has an issue with balls flying at her, like, and so that's what peripheral vision, you see a flash of something and you got to react, right? Like I said, this is, Katie's giving me a look right now. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2, hey, I used to throw balls at her. I've matured since then, so uh, since last week. No, it's been a while. All right, so 2 Corinthians 2, 11, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. So we're not oblivious. We're not ignorant. We're not deliberately unaware like I don't, See what you're doing? I'm just going to ignore you. All right? So I'm not a believer that thinks that we should just ignore the devil and pretend like he's not there or he's not doing something. But I don't believe that he should be our focus. Okay? I believe that there are times where we need to take our God-given authority and confront the works of darkness. This is why we're told not to be ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. Just like when I'm in that conversation with that person, Sometimes I have to say, excuse me, deal with the situation <laughs> and then get back to the conversation. All right. So that's what I believe. I, I don't think the enemy should be our focus one bit. But if there's an opportunity for the kingdom of God to be to deal with the works of the enemy, we should take that opportunity. All right. Um, and this is why we need to be discerning. Right. Because if we're always focusing on the enemy, well, that, then our attention's on him. 
This is why we need to be discerning. John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So what does that mean? Do I engage with this right now or do I disregard? I remember that story of Smith Wigglesworth waking up and he saw the devil at the end of his bed and he said, oh, it's you, and he rolled over. There are times where we just need to say, oh, it's you, I'm going back to sleep. And sometimes we need to address it. And that's why my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Does this make sense? So do I address it or not only do I address it, but how do I address it? Does this make sense? So let's try to answer that question that I began with in the beginning. So what does vision look like? Well, it depends on where you're standing and what you're looking at. What does vision look like? Well, what are you seeing and how are you perceiving it? This is so important, especially now. I mean, I'm not the type of person that looks at what's happening in today's society and say, oh my word, this is the worst. Like, there's been some pretty horrible things that happened throughout thousands of years. So, but if all of our attention is on what the enemy's doing, where are we placing our greatest value? Come on. I'm not saying that there aren't times where we need to address what the enemy's doing, but my sheep hear my voice and they follow the signs of the times. No, they follow me. Not me, but Jesus speaking. So what does vision look like? Well, the purpose of vision is not just to reveal your calling and destination, but to empower us for the journey. Having vision for the future is not a reason to escape your present reality. Vision is essential for every step that we take because we're called to live by faith. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just thank you for this time. Lord, I just pray that the words that I spoke today will penetrate deep into someone's heart and mind and, and even encourage them and to challenge them to not to deem something too spiritual or too practical, but Lord, we follow you. We heed your voice. And if you're just telling us to put the rod in the water, then that's what we're going to do. If you're telling me to do something that seems out of my, you know, my comfort level. God, we're going to follow you. We're going to trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.